Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Welcome back to the Addiction Connection. My voice is changing. Um, Today we're going to finish up hyperalgesia. He's trying to say his voice is changing because he's young, but he just had to change his glasses 14 times. I can hardly see... Okay, so this is part two of the hyperalgesia talk. We're going to talk today about the treatment as well as other clinical implications. It's going to be a bit shorter, just like the last one was. However, we're trying to shorten them up. I felt like some of them we did were really long. I mean, yeah. the one on Dr. Amer, geez, 30, 39 <laughs> minutes. Luckily, that was an interview, and people like that. And people don't like listening to us talk, I think. No. Anyway. So. We Just could be, to be clear. We could end treatment with one line. Yeah, here's the one line. and it, You know, you might as well just go right for it. There's none of these treatments uh, for opioid, you know, issues with hyperalgesia are, well, they haven't been validated. It's all baloney. Any, anything we're going to suggest are things people have tried. Well, because again, if there's no consensus on whether it even exists, how are you going to get consensus on a treatment? Mm. I'm just saying. But right. some of the things people have tried, gabapentin, high on the list. Mm-hmm. It has shown some efficacy in the animal models, but uh, frankly, just a, a few case studies have been helpful and maybe showed some efficacy. Okay, I have a question. How do you show you know efficacy in animal models without being able to ask if their pain got worse? I knew you were going to ask that. They did this on chimpanzees who could do sign language. You don't know that? No, they didn't. Yeah, that's all. I just made that up. <laughs> but it's um, seriously. But more studies obviously need to be, you know, I mean, the animals, when they have pain, probably get increased heart rate. They, you know, so as if you give them gabapentin, they probably fall asleep and their anxiety is less. Um, yeah, I have no idea. You have a, a animal psychologist watching. Yeah. So if any of you are, um, yeah, researchers in this topic, we'd love to interview you. Yeah, we'll talk to you. But uh, but clearly more studies needed on gabapentin. All right, so ketamine, everybody's new favorite thing. Um, oh, they use it for a lot of things. A lately. lot of things, and don't give it to me during a surgery, P.S. Yeah, let's not go It there. makes me angry, kind of like... Oh, how can you tell the difference? The, <laughs> the illicit drugs. But anyway, so ketamine, you know, we can give it IV now for migraines and chronic pain and generalized pain in the hospital, depression. So what does it do? It's an NMDA receptor antagonist. So very, we talked about the NMDA receptor last time, which it kind of gets upregulated. It can cause increased pain. And so if you give ketamine, which is the antagonist, shut it down, it can cause some analgesia, sedation and amnesia. Because it blocks these calcium channels, um, which is one of the proposed mechanisms for causing hyperalgesia. And I think even in just chronic pain, pretty obviously, I've got a number of patients who get ketamine infusions once or twice a year. Amazing results. Not everybody, but yeah, it's crazy stuff. I can't wait until there's more long-term studies on the ketamine thing, just because if you could get it at a schedule. Because right now there's no recommended... You get this done every month, and then eventually you'll never need it because all the receptors have been modulated and fixed, if you will, you know, or if it's going to kind of be a long-term thing. Yeah. 
Other treatments, of course, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I'm clearly just, you don't want to know. About. I don't want to keep talking about that. Opioid uh, dose reductions, I think that's a no-brainer. Well, they, we talked about that last time, too. You know, one of the big things back in 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10 was, of course, this opioid rotation, right? Uh, and there's still no studies, I think, that showed that that was a great thing. But they do talk a little bit about opioid switching, like you might have a little different experience with a different uh, medication. And they, you know, maybe they're referring to the differences, you know, like with tramadol to oxy to methadone or, you know, something that does have a little bit different Well, methadone. Mm-hmm. I mean, methadone's so, got a different deal going. So it is a weak NMDA receptor antagonist, so similar to ketamine, just not, you know, as strong. But you might need elevated methadone doses to treat opioid-induced hyperalgesia, which sounds like a little bit of an oxymoron to me. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I'd be going there. But also, you know, the COX inhibitors. So again, uh, trying to address that potential for a, a possible inflammatory component. So the NSAID type meds, and uh, will that make a difference? Again, how many studies have been done that have shown this? Not a lot. Yeah, so there's not a lot of efficacy in all of these. So obviously more things need to continue to be looked at Um and, you know, again, like I mentioned, the ketamine into the future and see what happens. Yeah. So what does this mean for patients, Dr. Devine? Well, you're talking clinically. about clinical implications of all of this. Well, there are clearly pain-inducing effects of opioids. Um, and so, you know, the, the importance of that, I, I don't think we can diminish it. It's a problem. And often that's what led to all the patients having these escalated doses. Well, and I think, you know, it... Obviously, it was discussed in 1870 and, you know, discussed a little more in 2005, but it's really hard to differentiate from tolerance. And I think that's what people kind of attributed to the escalating doses as that just the tolerance. But I think it's something that as a clinician, you you have to think about it and then you have to address something that doesn't really have any good treatment. So it's one of those complicating things that to some might be easier to just ignore and give them higher doses than to actually address the problem. Yeah. Are you done? Jeez. That's um, a huge thing, dude. Yeah, I know. And again, once hyperalgesia occurs, I think the biggest issue is, will it completely reverse itself off the opioids? And again, that's, that's been something that's not, uh, not always happening, Which, even with the taper. Again, like I just mentioned, you know, as a provider, you start to convince your patient to do a taper, and if it doesn't get better, these are not easy visits. These are not easy discussions. It's it's a lot of buying with the patient, yeah. a lot of support. And I think one of the things we talked about a little bit about previously is still that you know, watching these patients and understanding that what was the original reason that this patient was started on opioids. And if it was their low back and they had a disc or spinal stenosis and suddenly their hip hurts and their back hurts and their head hurts, suddenly it is generalized pain. And so we want to make sure that, and and in as people who have done a lot of chart reviews, we often can't figure out what the patient was started on opioids for. And that's always a clue because now they have all these different pains. And so is it the opioid? And so it's. I think the biggest clinical implication is you need to look for it. Well, you, you need, need to, to understand it. You need to find out what where the pain is coming from, like you mentioned. But there should actually be 
an actual objective finding that would state, yes, this causes pain. You scan a low back and there's really nothing there. That's really not the cause. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking about the discussion we had with someone about, you know, what do you do with legacy patients, patients that were on opioids forever. And some people would suggest that, you know, we, if they're doing okay, we don't do anything. But I think the first thing you have to do is decide, are they doing okay? Well, and why are they on them? Why are they on them? They're getting older, their renal function, all these things are changing. Do they have hyperalgesia? There's there's a lot of reasons uh, to take these legacy patients and taper them off. Actually, we saw a speaker once, I think, in Atlanta who had this conversation and said that just because they've been on them is not a reason to leave them on them. Correct. And yeah, like you had just mentioned with the renal function, but you started on it at 40 and now you're 80. There is so much more risk to you, especially if you're on the same dose or escalating doses because of tolerance, your overdose risk, and then all the other things you don't even necessarily think about or want to think about is who else has access to these meds? Are they even taking the meds? Are there grandkids or kids taking the meds? And now, I mean, there's a snowball effect. And Well, and I think that, that often when you look at this patient group, let's say you have a concern about hyperalgesia. They weigh 350 pounds. They have sleep apnea. They drink alcohol. They're 80 years old. Uh, there's all kinds of reasons. And so I think you need to take the patient as a whole and you need to decide, do we want to try and improve the hyperalgesia and are there other reasons we should be tapering them in? It's, a lot of times it's pretty obvious. But if they've been on it for a million years or a legacy patient, if you will, there's probably a, I mean, not probably, there's a huge psychological component. This has been one of their meds for a million years and now you're going to take it away. And then, you know, going from... 40 to 80, as we can ask you, Kurt, and I mean, you have more aches and pains, and so you might have that fear. What are you trying to say? And then we need more people like pain psychologists, like, you know, Murray McAllister in the world. I wish I had Murray McAllister in the room next to me in the clinic. Um, <laughs> so, and, and so it's kind of a, at the end, again, you talked a little bit about the tolerance um, and, and hyperalgesia that can really overlap, and, and trying to figure out which one of those is the problem. Um, that is a difficult one. Does a patient actually need an increase in pain meds because they truly have that pain generator that's worsened? Or right. is it OIH? So. Correct. So, yeah, another short one. Um, but again, it's a huge topic, and a huge topic, especially if you look at the patient population who are legacy patients who are on these meds that were started during the big push that chronic pain meds were safe and recommended. And now this is the fallout from that. Not only do we have to look at, you know, the addiction followed and overdose death followed, but then there's this whole other flip side to what about these patients who are just keeping on or have complications from just being on them just to be on them. Yeah. Just as a, just as a final thought, I think it's interesting that even four or five years ago, no one had heard of really hyperalgesia from opioids. And uh, there's been so much education in Minnesota uh, and so many talks on this over over time that I think that uh, now we see a lot of the family doctors that are, that are involved in the ECHO programs and such that they think of this, which I think is great. Correct. So, All right. So before we turn it over to Battle Leg, super excited about next week's talk. We're going to circle back to cannabis, which we did a long time ago. I couldn't even tell you how long ago it was, way back in July. Um, this is going to be kind of a trivia slash um, overview of historical things and historical individuals with cannabis. So 
um, just a different, a little bit different perspective, although, um, you know, factual. Mm. Sounds like a good time. <laughs> All right. Battle legs, your turn. around. 